0: Uh, reporting live from hoth this is mars on life um there's a bit of a blizzard outside but this is where andrew has decided to set up shop so unfortunately um we're on the lookout for wampa attacks and if if the microphones get fuzzy we are uh, gonna have to huddle inside of a tauntaun for warmth but um that's just what happens on mars on life are you guys comfortable with huddling inside of a tauntaun
1: I'm not so sure, simply because I think there's some uh, Quebe- Quebecois separatists coming our way. So uh, oh we better get in that tauntaun quickly. uh Oh, are, are they? Are they in- oh, oh my, that's. Oh, that, that doesn't look good. Anyway, uh...
2: <laughs> I, I can't keep up with the bit. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm <just> like... <laughs> oh my God. It's not. It's not as French as you guys think. I swear. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I promise you must you must take a a visit because um, yeah it's a magical place
1: by the way listeners welcome episode 126 Uh, drew where how how how's it been in Canada we teased about it last week but uh, what's what's the deal with Canada
2: yeah uh, for for all uh, a couple of days that I spent I learned a lot Um, so yeah listeners if you've uh, never been to Canada uh it's like a nicer version of the U.S. um I mean really I hate it when people say oh America's hat like come on That's we, we, we are the hat for Canada or you know whatever would go underneath because really Canada is like what the U.S. should be I don't mean to sound dramatic or you know uh expat in the making here but um montreal was beautiful it's like um lots of french speakers but everyone's bilingual because they're better than americans and it's got old world charm it's like literally like a a place in europe i've never been to europe so um the streets Hmm. are old and nice uh people are friendly the cuisine is um pretty good i mean i know the joke's like well no like everyone thinks it's poutine but like no they got stuff it's 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 a nice little kind of comfortable slide into Canadian Canadian and Quebe-que, Quebecois culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also like you, you can go really deep into it or you can just dip your toes, but um, it's like super friendly. And it's, um, you know, if Toronto is their New York, uh, which it feels like uh, Montreal is really where you feel Canadian. So yeah, it's a really nice place. And if you guys have been I don't know if Vancouver counts, but make it to the real Canada. Have you guys been to Canada?
0: No, I have Canadian friends, but I've never been myself.
2: <sighs> it's it's right in our backyards. I mean, it's not like um they're not letting at anti- they're letting people in. We didn't need to do vaccination checks. The border crossings are easy. It's a breeze to get in. I believe the American dollar is oh, I got so confused, is stronger and um they do accept their are can you know campaign mm. us dollars like you can maybe in mexico in parts but mm. um i think we have more buying power up there um you know when you grab a book and you read the back and it's just like us ten dollars <laughs> canada 23 dollars. so it's just like yeah it's, it's uh you do have buying power up there everything is cheaper for sure so um you can have a good time and then, yeah, it's just like uh, if you really think it's going to be a culture shock, not really. I mean, there are some little things I noticed. Like it seemed like, <laughs> I don't know if they like live smaller. I don't know how to describe it, but we stayed like in several Airbnbs or and two Airbnbs. And like, um, I don't know how to describe like, do they live simpler or smaller? I don't know. Americans just have so much excess. So I think there was just something about how simple living it was so um yeah man you guys got to go to canada
1: it hasn't been on my travel itinerary i know that my dad went to toronto for work at times uh over the last i don't know uh 15 20 years or so but uh no i mean with with the the hope of, of being closer to canada uh in the not-too-distant future, it's it's definitely somewhere I'd be uh, very interested in checking out, especially with my recent reading, uh, which I'll get to later in the episode. But, uh, you know, not, nothing nothing sounds more enticing than driving through the Great Concavity to reach uh, Canada. It's another you little like reference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: I don't know if you guys have ever driven to, like, Seattle slash Vancouver, for instance. I know it's not really accessible from L.A.
1: Mm-mm. My, my sister did just get back from Seattle, but I have yet to go up there. And, and because I have family up there, I'm not so sure if I will go up there very soon.
0: <laughs> I've never been to Canada. Like, I would be I would like be down to take a trip when it's not freezing. But I'm I'm interested in, like, getting some ketchup chips, because I know that's one of those things you can only get up there and, like, poutine <laughs> and stuff. <laughs>
2: Uh, I'm, I, I laugh because there's a bag of ketchup chips that we refuse to finish in our, in our pantry, and it's just going to go bad. <laughs> it's like half open. Um, I, I don't know. If, I don't, um, Some
0: people would travel for those ketchup chips. Oh, God.
2: It's like, <laughs> if you're the kind of person that puts ketchup on hot dogs and stuff like that, you're wrong. And, like, <laughs> if you like the chip flavored ketchup. That fighting words. I don't know, man, I don't get it. Like they didn't dip fries in mayonnaise. I don't know what part of Canada does that or France, but um, yeah, the ketchup chips were in the stores and it was just the grossest thing. It's like, if you hate ketchup, imagine it on a potato chip. I don't know, like I can't think of anything like any other way to sum it up than it It was just like vomit inducing. That's really strong, but um, I guess they're worth the bite.
1: Well, hang on. How do you how, how do you stand when it comes to uh, barbecue chips, then?
2: Oh, you know, this is what Rachel was telling me. Um, <laughs> barbecue chips, I know barbecue is made with ketchup, but barbecue, I don't know what the difference is. If it's the molasses, which um, you know, I can't describe flavors, um, but yeah, mm-hmm. I love barbecue chips. It's just ketchup is just too sweet, and I love tomatoes, and I hate mayonnaise, so... I don't mm. know, man. Those ketchup chips didn't hit. Um, I should have brought more bags to send to you guys. Maybe you could get some <laughs> soon. But um yeah, it's just so funny that you mentioned ketchup chips because I didn't know that they existed up there until I went.
0: Oh, I have I had mm. like I said, I've had friends who are Canadian, so I know of the uh the ketchup chips. I've had them before. I from what I remember, I liked them, but
2: I mean they're fine. Yeah, I'm being dramatic for sure, but at the same time like you got to love ketchup. I don't know if you're a ketchup on a hot dog guy. I mean, I know you said something. I forgot who said that was fighting words a second ago, but... Oh, that was yeah, a, I know it's,
0: them's okay. fighting words.
2: I couldn't tell you. Um, yeah, no. I mean, I'm not a ketchup guy by any means. But, yeah, again, in Canada, they, have, they don't really put the ketchups on the table, that kind of stuff. You know, it's like the little things like that. They do hmm. put ice in your water. I know the internet's really big on, like, haha, Europe doesn't use ice right now, but, like, Canada does have ice in their water and the service is great.
0: So there's still some aspect of civilization left.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's really funny too. Cause like, um, the weather was beautiful. I can't imagine what a winter would be like there actually. Um, but yeah, like it was summer and it was like in the seventies and low Hmm. eighties. And this was in late July, early August. So like you can imagine if that's like the peak of our, so if that's the peak of the summer up there how cold it could get in the winter so because I mean, boston already gets pretty freezing and that's already five hours north so oh god
1: now were there any other sites or anything else that you got to see well oh, actually remind me again you went up there because your your mom wanted to just check out canada yeah. correct
2: Yeah, my mom was going to fly to Boston and somehow it was cheaper to have a one-way into Montreal because American flights are a disaster this summer. So uh, we uh, went to go drive up there. It's a five-hour drive from Boston, picked her up. And yeah, we mostly just saw like the old town. There's a ton of to do, but um, it's a very walkable city. And there's not really so many like, I guess, monuments or anything, for instance. It's just kind of like old town trying to think of a good comparison now like in la like imagine if um Olvera street in downtown maybe like yeah oh, i was just like there the, yeah like the the canadian version of that obviously not mexican but like the old european type streets uh there's a lot of that um so really it's not so much like art and things like that there's like a street with murals but it's just like like a really old town it's probably the closest you'll get to like a european city i guess in the east coast is what people say so Mm -hmm. uh it's really more for the vibes more so than like a toronto where you have the tower and things like that but montreal has uh, a mountain in the middle of the city mount royal so uh we didn't get to climb it but um there is hiking you're kind of like along a a bed of water i I don't know if it's a lake or if it's a, a river but there is like water nearby so it's like it's fresh you could do things in the water and it's a nice little sizable city i mean they have a hockey team um, they have concerts it's not the tiniest place but um yeah and it's really nice too when you cross the border it's just like montreal just sits in this uh huge swath of farmland so like to get to montreal you have to uh, after you cross the border you're just driving through farms for like an hour or two hours and then you just turn the corner and uh, there's Montreal so it's just like this pretty little kind of hidden away in, in the farmland not the forest but the farmland so hmm. it's a it's a good spot for good vibes I guess more so than like action and adventure
1: for a while I'm done with international travel uh particularly flights but you mean no mean... Scotland
0: around too and just get uh, just oh. get stuck in the uh the transit and everything
1: Oh, God, uh, no, I uh, can't can't do that again. But uh, I if, if it's one of those things and, and hell, you can't really even do that with, uh, you know, and not that I've ever been because I've never been to Tijuana, but even going to like Tijuana right now and, and parts of Baja is kind of risky with all the recent uh, spats of horrific violence going on there. But, uh, hey, you know what, a. a Drive over the Canadian border and getting to go up there. I mean, work, works for me. You know i i I got a, I got a valid passport, so you know it's it, well, it can other, be done.
2: Yeah, the disappointing thing is that they don't stamp your passport. Um, hmm. I guess they're just like, eh, whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was so eh, it's <laughs> an American. Too, yeah, the attitude up there too. You know, like I hate like how. Fargo made us believe that anybody that lives north of like, I don't know, the the Mason-Dixon line, or north of somewhere like whatever <laughs> north is the of Chicago, point. yeah, yeah, it's just like, oh, they all talk like this, and it's just like no, like Canadians did not like their mouths didn't, uh, like break in half like in South Park, like they were <laughs> totally, <laughs> that's they were totally no accents, you know, hmm. extremely fluently bilingual. Um, so
0: you are telling me Fargo was a lie?
2: I don't know about those Michigan people, man. Where <laughs> in Minnesota? Yeah, they're just in Fargo's in
0: North Dakota, but uh, I think the rest of it's in Minnesota.
2: Oh God. yeah. And, and you know, growing up, I would see that. and I'm just like, oh yeah, like <laughs> they're just like Canadians who got lost and are living in America. Like it's probably how everyone up there sounds, and it just seems like it's this little tucked away corner of like weirdness up there. So I don't know what's up with that. I honestly was kind of expecting more of a culture shock with like
1: the accents
2: hmm. and things like that. No, it's fine.
1: Hmm. No, like I said, I, I'm I'm sold just because I I've never been to Canada. Uh, I I'm trying to think if we ever had a layover in Canada, and I I honestly don't think we ever did. And and obviously not with my recent Euro trip from hell. But at least from like other trips that I've had. To parts of Europe. I don't recall. Maybe when we were going to Rome, we might have uh, we might have had a stop. But I just no. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I think Rome. We actually had a stop in Germany, also. Uh, oh boy. Anyway, and that was that was that was still scary and strict, but not as scary and strict as it was uh, two months ago. No. Yeah. I'm. I, you got me sold.
2: I was just gonna say, actually, on that last quick note. Do you guys count when you're flying
1: and you have a layover
2: in a city for like, let's say enough to get off the plane? Do you guys does that? Do you guys count that as like I visited that city?
0: I say that I've been there. I don't say that I visited. Okay. yeah, you've been to the city, but you haven't like visited it. You know, there's a difference Mm -hmm. because like you're stuck in the airport waiting for the next flight, but you've been geographically and physically there.
2: Cool. Okay. I'm glad that that's like. A not controversial like opinion to say on that
1: i remember at one point in time considering that uh considering oh well i i I technically visited because hey it's i'm on the ground and i'm on the ground in a place that's neither where i'm coming from and nor is it my destination but and really the only time ever and I'm trying to remember correctly if if this was part of this exact trip, but I think it was uh I, I don't remember if it was on one of my trips to Brazil or if it was on my trip to Chile. I want to say it was Brazil. Um I had a stop in Texas and it, it was about as Texas as you could get going through the airport. You know, there's cowboy boots and hats everywhere, including in the gift shops. Uh, Fox News is on every television. I kid you oh. not. Like it, as as much as what I have just said sounds like a stereotype, it seriously was. And I, I'm I'm blanking. I want to say it was the Dallas airport. Again, we're talking years ago and, you know, pre-COVID before, before the dark times. And so but for real, it, it was it was very much um, it was very much what you know, a, a stereotyped kind of view of, of what Texas is all encapsulated within like an hour, hour and a half stop at an airport. If you gave me, if you gave me like 10 minutes to scroll through WhatsApp to those messages, I, I could probably find my, my paranoid Hunter S. Thompson X-esque test. Jesus, Hunter S. Thompson-esque texts. There we go. of Of my paranoia where I'm like, you know, I'm at an airport and Fox News is on. Where am I? You know. Um, yeah. Before we move on, actually, I'm gonna see because uh, listeners are probably wondering uh, where where's where Sebastian. I'm gonna actually see if I can try and get him on speaker and get his opinion on the ketchup chips. Uh, he's in Colorado right now, but I'm gonna see. Sadly, you guys won't be able to hear him, but listeners will. I wish I were it's, a listener. Uh, I'm I'm sorry. It's damn damn connections and podcasting and also calling remote it's let's see okay still ringing your call has been okay well wait let's hear his voicemail uh he he doesn't have a voicemail uh (laughs) i know because i've 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 called him before uh although i mean honestly it sounds great that you got to have some time you know not only of course to see your mom but also just time to get out of Boston, time to be away from work. Did she also spend a week or so in New England with you? Or was her old yeah. portion of the trip just in Canada?
2: Oh, yeah, no, my mom was here for 10 days. And uh, we have a small apartment. So it was uh, a lot. <laughs> but um, yeah, she basically uh, hung out in Boston for a long time. <laughs> God, I sound like I didn't want her here. Um, she was here <laughs> for like a, a week in Boston. And we explored some other New England things: uh, Rhode Island, Connecticut. Have you ever seen Mystic Pizza, Mystic, Connecticut? A cute little town. And uh, I, I always thought
0: that. that movie was going to be something different.
2: <laughs> <I'm> like what? <laughs> I need to hear it now.
0: This has nothing to do with Mystic Pizzas. It's just.
2: Oh yeah, it's just the coming of age movie. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I wanted some mystical pizza. I got, not that.
2: yeah well yeah there there's more pizza than you'd expect but you're right i didn't also yeah more pizza but but less mysticism that's not even magical realism pizza so yeah it's like false advertising
0: god damn it (laughs)
2: yeah Yeah,
0: contact (laughs) the uh whatever ad whatever board regulates advertisements Do not get mystical pizza
2: the is actually really good. It's some of the best pizza I've ever had.
0: But would you call it mystical?
2: Ooh, I mean, I'm biased, but yeah, I think I might. Okay, then.
0: Maybe maybe it's <laughs> redeemed itself.
2: Yeah, you go to the restaurant, and it's one of those places that if you guys have ever been... What am I saying? You guys are still in SoCal. Like, if you guys have ever been to like a themed restaurant or a place where they filmed one movie once, I guess the <laughs> movie is called Mystic Pizza, but you know the movie is playing 24 7 the wall the Mm. walls are filled with photos of the cast members and quote-unquote candid shots on set and things like that or like you know the people from the movie like i mean the the movie
0: the movie king of california was filmed in our costco ryan
2: i've never heard of that
0: it's like some dude thinks there's gold buried underneath the canyon country costco or something
1: michael isn't that a michael douglas movie
2: it stars Michael Douglas as a mentally ill man who thinks there may have discovered buried treasure, and Evan Rachel Wood is his weary daughter. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and it I'm... is actually the SCV in the movie too. It's not like they just filmed it there. Oh, yeah. The it takes place there too,
1: where we are. You know, Santa Clarita Diet comes up a lot online. I God, have I hate never that seen show. It. I it's avoided so it so bad. I I it just sucks. I just never cared for it. I just I. Sorry to say I'm not a Drew Barrymore fan. I like Timothy Oliphant, but the subject matter at this point in my life, I think the entertainment that I indulge in, it it can still be fantastical. But I think stuff that's like vampires and zombies and cannibals, minus like Silence of the Lambs, it just didn't. And especially being set here, none of it really interested me. Also, He's it's like here. not here because we don't have indoor schools
0: here Yeah, and they have an indoor school. There's no school called Santa Clarita High School. Um, yeah. Literally, the entire show is just jokes about Six Flags and jokes about cops living out here and oh. jokes about Timothy Oliphant and his jaw being sore. But she's always horny and them yeah. blending people into smoothies. That's literally the entire show. It's really poorly written which i'm honestly surprised that like so many people liked the show when it was honestly very bad like i reviewed it for the daily broom because like hey i live in santa clarita might as well like review the show it was a waste of my time it was really bad like if you like the show i honestly question your taste in entertainment (laughs) i really do
1: i think because i'm enough of a glutton for punishment I might try the first episode uh, for a taste, no pun intended. But I I guarantee you I probably won't get past the first episode just because it's like I just said, the the, the content matter just doesn't interest me at all. Like I I'm at this point in my life, I'm very picky with shows and especially after the disaster that was Obi Wan, I am more picky than ever. I don't, even, I, I don't even I don't even I don't even want to see the Game of Thrones prequel. I just I'm like, I, yeah, I, well, I'm, already... I'm
0: watching it tomorrow. I'll let you know how it is.
1: Oh, boy. I, <laughs> I, I would I'm, watch I'm ex- it. I, I don't know, man. I don't know, guys. It's huh. well. And on top of that. Um, tying it back in also with another famous place that uh, was used in a film. I have to go back to. The Fu Chow restaurant in Chinatown, which on the outside of the building says uh, <laughs> a bestseller movie by Jackie Chan, Rush Hour was shot here.
0: Oh, my God. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> which, you know, I it's I, I still can't get over that. That's on the side of a building uh, anywhere. But um, and, and, you know, on top of Santa Clarita Diet, uh, Matt, I was telling you about it recently. There was the film Chum Scrubber. Excuse me. The Chum Scrubber that was filmed out here way back, I think, a year or so after my family moved out here. And oddly enough, I think it's the kind of movie that would probably it would probably have a bigger audience now than it did then. Because it's basically just like a teen drama that involves the movies not trying to make light of these things. But it's about like drug use and suicide and living in suburbia and You know, parents pressuring you into things you don't want to be in because you're a kid. Um, Sounds a lot like stuff I've read about in Infinite Jest. But like it's the cast for it is kind of phenomenal because you've got Glenn Close, Rita Wilson, Tom Hanks's wife. Oh, God, who else is? it? I think William Fichtner is in it. Ray Fiennes. So that means Voldemort has been on my street. Jason Isaacs, who is also Lucius Malfoy. Uh, uh, Jamie Bell, Camilla Bell and uh, Justin Chatwin, who I'm pretty sure I met uh, on one of the days they were filming and he had a bunch of fake glass in his face because he crashes into a, a local sheriff's deputy's car. Yeah. It, and, and what's weird is I, I sent the trailer to Matt recently. And what's really scary about that trailer is that um you know, they filmed it at one of the local junior high schools, which is identical to the junior high school I went to in terms of the layout of the campus. But there's like this establishing shot of a suburban neighborhood that's the bottom of my street in the trailer. And you can just for a second see my house and my dad's old Toyota Forerunner, way back when we still had it. And. Maybe there's people who live here in the shot as well. So it's one of those things where you watch that and you're just like, it's such a bizarre snapshot in time of, you know, my street 20 years ago, Al- almost to this moment we're recording, 20 years ago, which now that I'm thinking about it, this month marks 20 years that I've lived out here. Good God. Um, oh God, that just hit me. Wow. Oh, oh I'm old. Um, but anyway. Enough about me. They filmed Marmaduke on my street. Or not my street, <laughs> in my neighborhood. Oh my goodness. Did you see Marmaduke?
0: Oh my... Well, he wasn't a real dog. But, or have you, are you asking if I've seen the movie? Or, like... oh,
2: uh, or if you saw any stand-in humongous dog on set.
0: No, I did not. I, I did not.
2: I didn't realize Marmaduke was voiced by Owen Wilson and mm-hmm. George Lopez was his friend. Interesting.
0: Well, I mean, Owen Wilson, I think, had just
1: done Marley and me, so. I uh, just had to send a text message to Sebastian because he was like, did you call? Uh, so uh, hopefully he gets my messages back. Hopefully the reception's not too bad. where He is. But anywho, um, I sent a couple of articles to you guys the other day about a recent study that was published uh, regarding a possible the potential for, you know, growing up in Southern California, we were all used to the whole. Oh, the big one, you know, the big one's coming. Well, What's the big one? Well, an earthquake that dwarfs the Northridge earthquake and something that would completely destabilize the West Coast. This recent study is now suggesting that the big one could be more like a mega flood rather than an earthquake or wildfire or something else that could totally ravage the Golden State. Just to read a little bit from a CBS article that is, before my very eyes, transforming into an ad, what on earth is going on here? Here we go. According to new research published on Friday, which this was uh, August 15th, a disastrous mega flood could bring so much water to some areas of the state that it could completely drown entire stop signs on a neighborhood street. Scientists say it's part of an investigation into a plausible worst-case scenario. Their research, published in Science Advances, focused on two extreme flooding scenarios, one based on recent historical climate data and another that's based on the projected climate for the end of this century from 2081 to 2100. Using climate models and high-resolution weather models, scientists found that California should brace for possible, possible impact in the coming decades. The historical model, known as Arc hist in their study, and based on data from 1996 to 2005, a mega flood could bring a maximum of 85 inches to California's Sierra Nevada. Under this scenario, the state would also see higher precipitation intensities, with coastal areas having eight out of 30 days, and mountain areas having 14 out of 30 days. Be quote heavy precipitation. Overall, broad regions could expect more than a foot and a half of precipitation. With widespread areas in the Sierra-, Sierra Nevada and some spots in the Coast Ranges, Transverse Ranges, and Cascade Range seeing more than double that. Yeah, did you did you guys hear about this when the news dropped last week?
0: I've been hearing about it that we can expect a mega flood. Uh, I actually was talking to someone about it last night, um, and we're like wondering, it's like, huh, like what parts of of la and or, or southern california are gonna be safe like what parts should we go to should we invest in jet
2: skis i don't know <laughs> so that's I, you say that so i am like offhand but at the same time it might be true i mean i don't know
0: oh, well, we literally story. discussed should we invest in jet skis it was that i was being serious we 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 talked about it
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, have you guys seen the uh the video of the guy already doing it in california i forgot where it was it was like in one of the suburbs in la
0: wait so that was not like we, we weren't ahead of the curve
2: <laughs> I, mean, I gotta look up where it happened but it might have been in torrance or someone i don't but some dude jet skied a few years ago after some big rains and in, in, i want to say socal
1: oh yeah i think i remember that, that i'm trying to think if that was at the end of 2019 when we had that like Non-stop torrential rain for like a good month, a uh, good month, a good chunk of December. Uh, he did it
2: in Fullerton. It looks like it was 2017. I'm gonna try to find his name, but um, yeah, I remember seeing that. And but of course, you know, the the clip I look up now has like fun, cute music, but it's just like <laughs> um,
1: no. Um, so yeah, he did it in 2017 in Fullerton. Part of what really grabbed my attention with this story we all grew up with the whole idea that quote-unquote the big one was going to be you know a big monstrously devastating earthquake yeah and you know it's it's something that it's hard to really prepare for something like that especially depending on uh the frequency of massive earthquakes in california which when was it july Matt, this was when we had the Signal 4th of July parade uh, with our fellow staffer that we were working with at the time uh, and previous guest, uh, Emily Alvaranga.
0: You mean the and, one where they uh, where they made me wear the fursuit and the one that Richard Budman tried to get me to do again this year?
1: You nailed it to a T, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that was... I, and I, I remember it vividly simply because I wasn't... I. I Honestly, I don't know who exactly was still working that day. Um, I know I wasn't, and I knew I was coming in, I think, the, the day after that. But I just remember, we, you know, all the 4th of July shenanigans had stopped. We were at the Vaughn's parking lot where a bu- I think a bunch of people just figured that's the best place to park. That's where uh, they told us and, to park, yeah. Yeah. Because that's where we were and,
0: staging and setting up.
1: That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cuz we that was where I think the truck was. I think I remember Emily had her dog with her. Emily ran into Vaughn's to get something. I was outside watching her dog and we were kind of walking around a little bit because the parking lot was kind of empty, so just kind of maneuvering around a bit. And then just all of a sudden the ground started moving. And I'm just standing there moving around like what wait a minute. This how is this happening now, you know? And and again, Speaking for myself as somebody that I'm despite living in California, the majority of my life, I still don't really feel like I'm used to earthquakes. As weird as that sounds, you know, wasn't even I I was alive at the end of the year that the Northridge earthquake hit. So I, you know, really the most that I've experienced has been those earthquakes and then like every so often another earthquake that goes off probably while I'm sleeping. So, uh, cause there've been plenty where it's been like a loud quake and I'm like, I slept through it, but yeah, I mean the idea of a mega flood, it, it, to me, it, and I know drew, you and I have talked about this previously, what alarmed me about it was just the fact that this was a plot point in the ministry for the future. Yeah. Obviously, you know, I, I, I've made it clear before that, you know, Kim Stanley Robinson, he's not, He's not one of those sci-fi authors that just, you know, makes stuff up like, you know, he wrote he, he wrote these three books uh, centered in California that each of them were intended to be. And I, I haven't read them and I, I don't have the, the titles of them available, unfortunately, but I, I think you can get them in like a compendium called Three Californias. But I think they were all published in the in the 1980s they're all intended to be alternatives for what California's future could be. And because they were written in the eighties, the cold war was still going on. One of the stories was kind of like, uh, if either of you guys have seen the movie or heard of the Cormac McCarthy book, the road yep. where, yeah, where it's, it's, it's like it's after some kind of catastrophe, whether it's a volcano or an asteroid hit, it's pretty vague as to what happened, but it's it's essentially an extinction level event that just turns planet Earth back into what it looked like right after the, you know, asteroid that killed the dinosaurs hit the planet. And there's like these small droves of humans walking through this irradiated landscape. And like that's one of the stories. Another one is basically what we have, which is, you know, living in a very hyper capitalist you know mass of suburbs and shanty towns where you know basically the the mall is going to be the 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 primary place everybody's going to it's where people of all classes are are heading towards to try and live their lives in whatever ways that they can again he he's he's following science and he's he's gone to places like CERN and he's he's consulting with people And so all of that is channeled into a lot of his more recent books talking about climate change. Namely, uh, he had a book about floods in 100 years' time drowning New York City, essentially. And it's pushed New Yorkers to a point where they're living in this sort of upstairs-downstairs-style society where you have co-ops and sort of more basically almost a borderline socialist middle-class society and then the upper-class society that, you know, pretty much already exists in a place like New York city. And then obviously ministry for the future, which we spent a whole episode already talking about. And again, all of the, you know, theories behind what disasters are in store for us in the next 20 years, he factors into that book. And already some of those are coming to fruition with some of the, devastating heat waves that we've had especially this year and there's a mega flood that totally swallows up la drew when you heard about it what what was kind of your take with all this kind of in the background
2: i know i saw it and you know it's kind of freaky to hear about and the thing is that you know when you hear about these things it's like yeah it's that same fear of like yeah you know like uh like they've told us the big one is overdue why has it happened you just feel like it's never going to happen but um it is scary to think uh, that you know we're probably you know well yeah closer to it than we realize but it's just like you know I I think like five ten years ago I was obviously never like a climate change uh skeptic or denier but I would just be like it's just fear-mongering I'm sure you know like I've never seen any uh, living in LA during my time. Like I never felt anything. I felt the slightest of earthquakes. I was three when their Northridge earthquake happened. So earthquakes aren't real. So I would just be like, totally, this is not going to happen, you know? But um, I don't know. I just felt like a sense of like greater fear also because I'm like removed from SoCal and like my family is still there. My friends are still there. I don't know. Like for some reason, this kind of hits, this headline kind of hit harder than the usual the big one's gonna hit, and we're like Seattle's gonna rip off with of the West Coast. Like mm. this one hits pretty hard for. like I don't know. I think this combined again with what you're saying, like the Lake Mead stuff. You know, I was thinking like, why can't we just like pull a Patrick from SpongeBob and like push the rain, <laughs> push the flood to like meat? Like, you know, yeah. it's like I'm still. I feel like a lot of these stories never make the connection, and not responsible to make the connection for me as a layman of like why do we have a drought? If we're at risk of a mega flood, won't that just replenish everything? Like it's really difficult kind of topics. And I think for me, as scared as I am, you know, I think there's probably other people like that. Like let's say members of my family who, you know, think who vote for certain people who are just like, Oh, what a word about a drought. I'll water my lawn. Like if there's a mega flood, we'll be fine. So it's just like, I don't, That's not on the media to like kind of like give tell us like a scientist but at the same time it's just like yeah it's uh we're getting to a point where i don't know there has to be a word for like when you're scared of everything that's gonna happen but like paranoia um, yeah yeah just like um yeah and i think yeah definitely like you're just like it's like you're just scared of like everything now but i think also i wish there was a way for like I don't know. Maybe I'm just like not really thinking clearly at the moment, but I see headlines of mega flood and then I see headlines of drought and I'm just like stuff that's not adding up here and I don't know. Maybe I just need to pick up another book, <laughs> but um
1: yeah. yeah man, the world's scary. It's been dry pretty much every day this summer. Uh minus at least w- we had we had at least one day of rain uh in the last month and that rain lasted maybe less than 5 minutes. And it was rain that wasn't even in the forecast. So it's hard to fathom a mega flood when for a long time now, we've just had absolutely no precipitation whatsoever. And it's weird too, because, you know, I, I I was looking at the the study and I know NBC four, one of our local affiliates had a, had an article about it and it straight up said how, you know, this is something that is possibly going to happen within the next few decades, which, of course, you know, you say that to people that are already pretty pessimistic over the fact that we're in this drought that'll never end. And which just to step back for a second, I could have sworn in in the last couple of years there was some declaration that we were finally out of the long drought that we had been in. I don't know if you guys might remember this, but it it was probably within the last at least five or so years, maybe maybe more like seven, where there was dialogue coming out of Sacramento, you know, and I forgot this had to have been probably when Jerry Brown was still governor saying, you know, "We're, we're finally out of this drought. You know, it didn't register with me at the time. But then since then, especially this year, we've, it's been referred to that we've been in a 20 year mega drought. How, how did we get out of a drought like five years ago, but we're still in a 20 year mega drought, you
0: know, what like that it, second it's, drought.
1: Yeah. Like it, it, it really just, it's confusing to me and I don't know if it's just, you know, it's, it's the same kind of, Oh, well the public won't They won't be paying enough attention so we can, you know, just ignore the fact that we said the drought was over when it's still with us you know it's it's like back in uh 1920 or maybe it was more like the end of 1919 when they were like spanish flu is over and then like people started dying again because people decided to take their masks off um hint hint wink wink i'm I, telling my parents about it and they were like oh so something that's going to happen possibly in the next 20 years is a thing and i'm like yeah i mean and that's just it within the next 20 years like Regrettably, that could mean as soon as like tomorrow, which is kind of extreme given, you know, what the weather's like right now. But I I, here's the thing, like for me, I, I, I don't doubt it. Uh, And I'm not saying any of us do, but speaking for myself, like it, it doesn't come off as a surprise. If anything, it just comes off as the umpteenth warning of unstable weather we have to look forward to speaking right now what's what's the temperature where your guys are at is it a scorcher it's like
0: uh, mid 90s for a while
1: yeah it's like consistently been around the 90s it's it's dropped a little bit like we're talking four five six degrees at least uh because we last week triple digits every day And just grueling like you'd walk outside to get the mail. And by the time you came back in your house, you felt like you just worked eight eight straight hours. I saw something on Twitter and again,
2: Twitter with a grain of salt. But um, Mm. I did read something that it's SoCal is getting muggier and more humid than ever. And I don't know if that's the case. Like, I'm sure.
0: I mean, I would agree with that. It's definitely getting a lot more humid.
2: Yeah. I mean, dry heat is obviously. Well, yeah. like. 100 degrees and dry sucks, but, like, 90 degrees and humid, just want to, like, yeah, call in a hole. I mean, there there's some cloud cover. It's not a
0: lot. Like, it'll come in and it'll go out, so you get, like, a little bit of mm-hmm. relief. Um, I wouldn't say it's humid, humid out here. I think it, it's more humid in other places in L.A., but, I mean, I can, I can tell a little bit of it. And, like, I don't know about you, Ryan, but I feel like, and I haven't been paying attention because... Fuck the police scanner, but like, I don't know about you, but I don't think there's been as many fires this year. Is it not even really fire season yet? I don't even remember. I'm trying to block that part of my memory out of my mind.
1: Understandable. Uh, No, we're, we're definitely in fire season, but. We I mean, this summer, especially we've had far, far, far less fires. We had we've had, I think, two that have actually been. You know, on the local news's radar and I, I'm not talking Santa Clarita media. I'm talking, you know, L.A. media like we had. We had one fire out near the um, the Saugus swap meet area that Sebastian's talked about plenty of times before. And then we just very recently, like within the last couple of days, had one over by an animal shelter in Castaic. Hmm. Both of them have been relatively small. But no, you're right. Like we really haven't had any fires and we've had several, you know, I still have Pulse Point. I get notifications every time. there's oh, a Oh, I deleted fire. that
0: shit immediately.
1: See, I, I reasoned that it was still worth keeping just from the standpoint of, you know, letting family know whenever something awful is going on in some part of SCV and to tell them, Hey, just so you know, you might have some traffic because X, Y, and Z or hey, just so you know, don't drive over to wherever because ABC is happening. So, uh, and, and to be fair, uh, well, to, not really to be fair, but also to point out, and unfortunately I didn't get this notification when it happened, but uh, the day that I didn't have water, there was I had that notification about the sheared uh, water hydrant not that far away from me. So, you know, sometimes it's, it's useful in that sense. Uh, it's just not useful when I don't get a damn notification about it, and I'm wondering why am I standing here in my shower and the water is just. Boop, 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 boop. And also, just to read a little bit as well, because the, the LA Times had a good article uh, giving a little bit of historical context in the fact that we've had other uh, disastrous floods in in California history. Um, even today, as California struggles with severe drought. Global warming has doubled the likelihood that weather conditions will unleash a deluge as devastating as the Great Flood of 1862, according to a UCLA study released Friday. Uh, In that inundation 160 years ago, 30 consecutive days of rain triggered monster flooding that roared across much of the state and changed the course of the Los Angeles River, relocating its mouth from Venice to Long Beach. It does bring up the fact that uh, earlier this week, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom called on state agencies to begin preparing for a hotter, drier future with strategies, including expansion of water storage and water recycling capacity. That's because he said new data indicate new data indicate that California will lose 10 percent of its water supply by 2040, uh, which I should point out. And I'm, I'm only remembering this because this was a story that I worked on at signal Uh, It's been pretty interesting watching local officials see how they, seeing how local officials respond to calls for water collection when we do have rain. And I know our L.A. County supervisor was very critical about using taxpayers' money to build new water storage reservoirs when she, she basically indicated that there's better ways of approaching climate change than using taxpayers' money just for more reservoirs that may or may not be used because we don't get any rain to which my argument back would be, okay, well, what are your alternatives to which four years later, I've heard silence from her. Mm -hmm. So, um, and you know, nobody unfortunately was going to those meetings to ask her, well, what's your alternative? You know, we have the big central Valley in the middle of the state at one point in time that was, you had water there At, at some point in the prehistoric past, you did have water there so trying to understand you know is that is that a possible future for a state as dry as california that we could actually have one giant lake in the center of the state once again or you know and on top of that i mean does that translate into something akin to what happens in ministry for the future like will that mega flood hit los angeles which so far Honestly, I've I've seen some information that indicates that, but I've also seen some information that just talks about all the other parts of the state that would be affected, i.e. parts of Northern California. It's not necessarily like it's something we can keep an eye on because it's, you know, a prediction for our future. Well, uh, you
2: know, I was curious to look up the stats here and i was googling and uh, uh, according to daily mail a time traveler said he took a photo of la underwater in the year 5000 so i think he's right um <laughs> you know i feel like honestly though like the timeline uh, you know it happen that fast i'm for I'm, well, you know we're not going to be here but i'm already kind of anticipating that you know um there's going to be nothing left after our generation i don't know like it's just kind of i always joke about you know like oh like why do i want a 401k when the climate wars are going to take it away you know and i'm just like i really think that something like that's going to happen you know it's funny i think of that Ken stanley robinson book new york 2140 it's just like yeah more like new york 2040 like it's gonna happen like i honestly think like timetables um, moved up (laughs) yeah just drop 100 years yeah um like you know um these are the kind of headlines that honestly make me think like well maybe i should learn how to shoot a gun you know like maybe it's time to learn how to you know make wood without a lighter like i'm serious like i Mm. i I don't mean to sound like a doomsday prepper but sometimes i see these things and i'm just like and then you know combined with political unrest in the united states and in the world economic unrest and i don't mean to be a prepper by any means but i'm just like yeah maybe like if we're closer to the end than, you know, then we're taking it seriously. Um, obviously, I know who we point the finger to, but it's just like, you know, is this the Industrial Revolution's fault? Like, what started our downfall? I don't know. I don't want to get too deep here, but I'm just like, <laughs> man, like, mega flood, like, we're screwed. We're screwed. Like, it's gonna... As, as, you feel helpless, you know? Um, I know we talked about it. I, I might have been... Uh, what was it? A, a couple of pods ago about um celebrities taking private jets for like five minute flights from like um you know van nuys airport to like thousand oaks or something and it's like um yeah like what am i taking shorter showers for like whatever i'm gonna take a longer shower now so are we gonna have to talk about like mega volcano next week they've already done a movie on it it's possible like something's (laughs) gonna happen next in la like i feel like these studies these um doomsday scenarios like we're just going to see more and more because you know i didn't start the year thinking i would ever think like me would dry up and or hearing about mega floods and I'm just like all right i guess just bring it on like the the, the la brea's heart pits are coming back to life like bring it on like what's going to happen next
1: i'm trying to recall uh from ecology of fear because i know at some point early in the book it's brought up how many times in fiction Los Angeles has been destroyed. And it's it's kind of a staggering number just because for for an area, you know, again, for, and we've talked about this countless times now, that for an area that is so frequently touted for its, its beauty and, you know, quote-unquote good weather, which, as I recall, Matt, when I saw your mom, that was what she was telling me is that the weather here is so great. And I'm like, mm. ma'am, I'm standing in a suit in 100 degree weather there is nothing you
0: have to you have to understand that my mom will wear sweaters like heavy sweaters in the middle of summer
1: oh my god
0: she's one of them and like when it's hot and like you (laughs) don't feel like wearing it she'll say no you take a sweater
1: Uh, oh i've seen a few people recently wearing jackets outside and i'm just like why
0: there's folks just walking around with like sweatshirts and hoodies and it's like dude no
1: good god i i I just i'm like getting mad on the street for that hang on i'm like right there we go literary destruction of los angeles okay there has to be a number uh and and you know mind you this book came out in 1998 and so the the data collected is only from up until 1996 the number of times in fiction and this incorporates books movies comic strips uh, I, I imagine paintings as well. I don't know. It's It's been a minute since I've read this. Within fiction, since 1996, 138 times. So, and obviously, you know, we could go on about like, well, how many times has New York been destroyed or Washington, D.C. or whatever? You know, how many times have the aliens blown up the White House or something? Um, or Godzilla's rampage through New York City? But, uh, probably twice in that regard. But that's a story for another time. Uh <laughs> But yeah I mean it's 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 bizarre when you realize like no, this is an area that could easily wipe its population off the map, and for all of its beauty we've we've as as a species, we've done just about everything possible to further destabilize the area to the point where we're at such phenomenal risk in a way that we never could have imagined, even when there was the flood in eighteen sixty two so when you do think about those things, like you were saying, drew about like, and, and and you've brought it up several times that like it's to me, it's an extraordinarily valid point. Like worrying about things like a 401k or, you know, thinking about where you're going to live, knowing that in the next 10 years, a a good majority of both coasts could be underwater. It's, it's stuff that no one thinks about. And I I've brought it up with my folks before and it never really gets brought up by anybody other than me like are we going to reach that point where you have climate refugees leaving california which in my mind as of right now it seems very minimal especially in the face of people complaining about well i gotta water my garden oh my front lawn i gotta water it you know and it's people in like the wilshire area complaining and it's like well i hate to break it to you uh sunshine but it, it doesn't matter if you know, the area is either flooded or raised by a fire. Your garden status isn't going to matter. You know, yeah. it's, you better be hoping you're going to be okay rather than your garden. So not to join in on the doomer talk. I don't know if Matt, if you want to, well, you kind of started it with the jet skis. So <laughs> that is true. Not to, not to put you on the spot there. Uh, will they be Kawasaki jet skis? <laughs>
0: Whatever's cheapest and will last me the longest. I could also just get like an amphibious car.
2: <laughs> we better go on that fishing trip to learn. I mean, because, you know, <laughs> we honestly, like, that's a serious life skill at this point. Like,
0: we won't be seriously. living off the land. We'll be living off the flood.
2: <laughs> I better watch, I get a Blu ray of Water World and watch it till it burns out. Like, oh, geez. Yeah, it's like that um, Universal insert joke about that Universal Studios show being the future here. Like, I'm worried, man. Like, um, (laughs) it's kind of been a tiny bit of the reason why, like, I don't want to move back to L.A. I bought, like, five years ago or a couple years ago, I'd always joke, like, oh, well, sorry, guys, but I was like, I'm just going to wait till the big one and then uh, rents will go down and I'll go back, you know? But, like, I don't know anymore. You know, my mom... Mm -hmm. Um, just like, what is my mom going to do? What is my family going to do? So I'm just like, um, and speaking of those climate refugees <laughs> and speaking of those funny accents, uh, Minnesota, Michigan, those are always the places they say that are going to be fine because they have, you know, comparatively mild summers. Yeah, they get cold in the winter, but they're near the lakes that, and the Great Lakes aren't drying up as far as I can tell. So, or seen. So
1: maybe in five years, it'll be a, uh, mars on life live from minnesota or something the political dynamics are going to be radically different when all of the big coastal cities which i'm not trying to point fingers or or stereotype in any way but they're pretty liberal areas what happens when all those places need to be evacuated and all those folks are going back into the heartland you know which is predominantly red so like, that's going to be a huge factor going forward that it just seems like no one realizes will be a thing because there is no long term project, a la a ministry for the future, looking into how do we prevent these catastrophes from happening, or at the very least, how do we alleviate these catastrophes when they do hit? Speaking of the Heartland, you've got uh, and I'm I'm just this is just a little a brief addition. It's not a whole new segment, but um the heat belt that was uh, theorized recently, the extreme heat belt that would basically uh, enrapture parts of or excuse me, encapture parts of the south, midwest, east coast, and parts of the southwest, where by 2053, which I should point out is roughly around the time that the uh the mega flood is expected. You've got various counties in places like Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, parts of Oklahoma, entire state of Illinois, parts of the Carolinas, Virginia, even parts of Pennsylvania, and then parts of New Mexico, Arizona, California, and Nevada. Looking at you, Vegas, because you're in one of those counties. um, These are all counties that are expected to experience heat indices above 125 degrees Fahrenheit by 2053 and that's from axios you know what tornado alley is going to be where everybody flocks to and and yet no one's prepared for no one's prepared for that either and when the north uh the northwest isn't as hot here or as hot there as it is here and as hot as it is in boston it's like you can't win
2: plus it's going to rip away from the west coast i'm still thinking about that story like how they're overdue for like the mega earthquake and plus they they're built like i uh i don't mean to turn the whole pod into a doomer bit but like yeah this mega flood really you know shook things up i mean Mm. yeah sorry for the fear mongering but it's you're right you you're damned if you do damned if you don't like i guess florida has marshland oh no florida will be underwater sorry i guess you know georgia um you know other parts like that i guess uh what is it? The ma- those mountains where that movie took place, Deliverance? Like, is that where we're going to have to head to? I don't know.
1: It, it's, it is one giant. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. But, um, okay, finally. I forgot which episode it was, but I think it was right before, right before, uh, Andrew, before you made your trip to Canada. I mentioned that I was going to start reading Infinite Jest, or as you appropriately yes. called it, Infinite Paragraph. Uh, <laughs> remind me again. You, you remind, remind listeners again what your thoughts were when you tried to read it.
2: Yeah, and um, I don't have. Uh, you know, my thoughts aren't don't go that far. Because basically, you know, I've always heard about the book. Um, I've always been curious about reading it, and it's thick. You know, uh, out here they have those little like free public libraries that they have like in public spaces. So, uh, you know, somebody dropped it off there. I saw the title, Infinite Jest. I'm like, all right, here we go. And uh, I kind of, you know, you see the book and you see how thick it is. And like, I'm not familiar with David Foster Wallace, but, you know, I understood enough that it's I'm like, okay, like, um, you're getting into something here. Um, I heard something about like end notes and footnotes and like, okay, like, oh, yeah. we're gonna, this is going to be an adventure. And then I picked it up and i couldn't even tell you what some of the plot was when i started began reading it but i just remember having a difficult time like getting into the vibe because um yeah it's chunky i don't know like his, from the tiny i got from the from what i can remember of trying to dive into it it's not like the most um what am i trying to say it's not like the um it's not like at a you know college level reading level to comprehend it you just have to have some patience i think i mean mm-hmm. but it's just like the chunk of it because like i'll be honest like um you know i'm not the biggest reader but when i do read like i'll read like of i love like i'm a non-fiction guy so like for me when it comes to fiction um i'm already like starting from a, a tough point i guess if that makes sense and like for instance oh, for yeah. me for, for me like our um so like uh i don't know if you know murakami and like his oh, yeah. yeah so like for me like that's as far as i get into it and it's like i know infinite justice is not exactly like the same genre but um <laughs> well yeah no not really but um yeah for me uh fiction is already kind of a hard to dive into but infinite Jest was just a lot from the beginning like there's no easing into it um but that was my impression i think i got frustrated because i couldn't Get into it, and then you tell yourself, like, how long am I going to struggle to get into the into the flow of reading this or the interest, really? But um, I put it back in the free uh, free public library not long after.
1: So, um, but yeah, share share some solidarity there because I I've definitely been in your shoes where I went through a good period of my life where getting back into fiction was damn near impossible. Um, I I'm currently in the process of editing a, a medium post about sort of my, my reading trajectory during the pandemic. And, uh, hopefully I'll have that up very soon. I I've kind of been procrastinating on getting it posted, but, um, you know, after my sophomore year of high school, me and everyone else in my grade, we were all so exhausted that the thought of getting into other media like TV shows or books just felt like way too much work. And it wasn't until the end of my junior year of high school that I started to get really back into reading. Uh, Funny enough, I think it was, it was actually a fiction book that kind of started it. It was the girl with the dragon tattoo of all things. And since then, especially getting into science, philosophy, politics, more history, trying to find a way back into fiction has been a little bit wonky. I'm now at a point where I'm, I'm almost more addicted to fiction, but I'm, I'm still really picky. Uh, like I tried reading this, what's considered this great sci-fi book called the dispossessed by Ursula K. Le Guin. And I mean,
0: Oh, she did, um, Tal's moving castle.
1: Yeah. Yeah. and, and she also did The Left Hand of Darkness, which is another supposed to be another phenomenal work by her. I thought it was so college student level that I was like, I can't do this. This is like like what what, like the way I've heard it described is that it's basically the left wing version of an Ayn Rand novel. Uh, the only difference is that Ursula K. Le Guin can write. <laughs> but Yeah. And and even like right now, like books that I have to look forward to, it's actually surprisingly mostly fiction and also surprisingly mostly postmodern, which is a whole nother can of worms. So a lot. I was a lot like you where I, you know, I had all that going for me. And then finally, I was kind of. Infinite Jest was sort of brought back to my attention. And. The weight of it, the hubbub over the book, which, Matt, to give you a little bit of an idea, part of what makes it so notorious and, and Matt, uh, Drew's already hit on most of these points. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's eleven hundred pages. There are three uh, hundred some odd endnotes. And it's a novel, by the way, like it, it's it. we're not talking. It, this isn't a, a, a Rick Perlstein history book where all the end notes are, oh, it's this NBC link or this letter in the in the Reagan Library. It's like, no. Here's a bunch of end notes that fill you in on parts of the novel. And they're either jokes or they're like five page long end notes where it's interviews with characters with other characters. And You know, the book also has a bit of a reputation as being a and it's ironic because of what I'm about to say and the fact that I'm saying it. But here goes nothing. Uh, it's, It's it's the fact that the book has kind of a bad reputation as. Being a bit of a mountain to climb for white guy readers that then mansplain the book. And Mm. also the fact that David Foster Wallace, the author, who I should know, I'm not planning on getting into his whole oeuvre of of you know books and, and journalism, but he's kind of got a bit of a scary history when it comes to like stalking, and you know he committed suicide in 2008. He, you know, there there I'll put it this way: there's a lot that factors into his personal life that kind of seeps into the book and there's a lot of it that's tragic. There's also a lot of it that's very comedic and it it all kind of makes this book very much an extension of him at the same time though, it's a feat to read simply because it's, there's a little blurb on the front cover that's uh, from Stephen King that says to my mind, there have been two great American novels in the past 50 years. Catch 22 is one. This is the other. Uh, Which, you know, is a tall feat because I bloody love Catch-22. But to kind of give you a quick rundown of the plot. Is there a plot? There really isn't, actually. Uh, It's set in multiple different locations. uh, One of which is a tennis academy. We've got a bunch of kids playing tennis and you have like a dysfunctional family. Running the academy and enrolled in the academy. The Tennis Academy is set in Boston. Mm -hmm. Another plot point down the hill from the Tennis Academy is a halfway house with a bunch of drug addicts. Then you have multiple characters from the halfway house and sort of their backstories that get talked about throughout the book. Uh, And then you have these two assassins somehow related to the overall story. It's really hard for me to even kind of contextualize how each of these little plot points connect with each other other than to say that the deceased, and this isn't really a spoiler because it, it honestly, this is an incredibly hard book to spoil. And I should note, I'm, I only have like 300 some odd pages left. It's what happens when you got free time and you're, you're as of yet still unemployed. You can spend a little extra time reading infinite jest, Uh <laughs> Spies looking for a piece of entertainment called the entertainment created by the deceased father of the of the family that runs the tennis academy. And the entertainment is said to be such a long piece of entertainment that everyone who gets a hold of the entertainment or at the very least watches it and engrosses themselves in it that they eventually like die from dehydration and exhaustion. And the irony is that the entertainment is known as the infinite jest, which of course is the name of the book, uh, which insinuates that what you're reading is the entertainment. And if you just keep going the way you are, the book will kill you, Um, (laughs) which it could be a weapon. Mm -hmm. It's it's a brick.
0: Ryan sent me a photo. It's a fat,
1: fat book. And (laughs) what's funny about it too, is it's, technically kind of a dystopian novel it's set in i guess you could say the present time like our era book came out in 1996 and so far wallace i'll put it this way i i he's a phenomenal writer and that's clear in the book like the writing the writing is something and i think i don't know drew if this was a problem for you it's certainly been something i've tried to climb over The writing in the book is not only is the book thick, the writing is thick, very detailed, very strenuous and almost so overly detailed to the point where you realize that one of the themes of the book is alienation uh, simply because of the fact that the details are so monotonous and never ending. And it also doesn't help that this is a book with two moments of action in it, believe it or not. One of them being a very violent tennis game that's supposed to simulate uh, nuclear war. <laughs> and the other is a fight outside the halfway house against a bunch of Quebecois separatists chasing down a, a crazy person, uh, basically a mass murderer who's in the drug house. But yeah, it, it's supposed to be set in a future where the U.S., Canada and Mexico have all become one alliance. But there was some type of nuclear toxic waste catastrophe in New England uh, that has since become known as the Great Concavity. And uh, it's kind of caused a bunch of health issues where you've got like babies being born without skulls and multiple eyes. Yeah, I mean, trying to explain this, I know I sound like a crazy person right now, even just trying to explain it. But I mean, to finally answer the, the question, Drew, of sort of what I think about it, uh which I'm going to have to delay just one last second because I've actually had a little bit of help reading this. Uh yeah. there's a podcast called Infinite Cast. That nice. That is a husband and wife uh where the wife reads it to her husband and they give little bit of little bits of commentary after the fact. And I'm only aware of it because the husband is the producer for uh Chapo Trap House. And they've had one of the Chapo hosts on the show to talk about the violent tennis game known as Eschaton. Uh, <laughs> but which is like Quidditch on another level, I guess. I it Really, it's it's so weird because you read about the game and it's almost like you're reading something out of Apocalypse Now, when in reality, it's like, isn't this just a really brutal tennis game and not actual nuclear warfare? But that that's kind of been my help in reading it, where, again, the commentary and also reading it through their lens as uh, two people with ties to the Northeast are kind of like, oh, hey, I, I know this part of Boston or, oh, hey. Th- this is funny or, you know, like it's, it's it and a lot of it, a lot of it's played for laughs, but also it, it's, you know, it's helpful. Honestly, the book's been phenomenal which is a word I need to stop using because I've used it too many times, I think, this episode. But um, it is funny. The writing is spectacular. It's definitely one of, the, probably the hardest book that I've encountered. And also just the fact that there's so much stuff that Wallace predicts. Like, he basically predicts Netflix in this book it, and, and streaming. It's kind of crazy. It's so weird. And the characters definitely sink in. I think I'm glad I read it now just because I have time to do so. And if I tried reading it like like, I'll put it to these. I'll put it to you this way, guys, if like, I would recommend it to you both. But it's longer than a vacation read. Let me tell you,
0: I mean, with it with eleven hundred pages. Yeah, (laughs) well, (laughs) well,
1: it's well, And here's the thing, it's it's so it's it's 981 pages of text. But then the next 200 or so are the end notes, um, which are recommended to be read along with the book because it fills out the rest of the book for you. And also it apparently is supposed to be there's there are critics out there that think uh, Wallace was trying to give you a physical manifestation of the game of tennis. Because you're flipping back and forth Hmm. pages like it's a ball. Uh-huh. Wow. Uh, <laughs> there's no way I could be succinct. But no, honestly, I'm I'm enjoying it. And uh, it's going to be a shame because. I think. They're uh, the hosts of Infinite Cast, uh, Chris Wade and Molly O'Brien, shout out to them. Uh, I think they're still around like the mid seven hundreds. Um So I'm they they started this podcast uh, September 2020, and it's almost been two years. I'll I'll definitely be tuning in to listen to their later episodes. But um, there is going to be a stretch where it's just going to be me reading it, Uh, which I've done that here and there already. Is it a struggle? Yes. Uh, Is it worth it? You know what? I'm certainly not going to become the, the stereotypical Infinite Jest reader. Because I know I I don't understand all of it, but uh, yeah, it's been worth it.
2: (laughs) No, it's funny. I just saw too that there's um, somebody made a photo blog, you know, flicker of all the locations mentioned in the book across Boston. And Mm -hmm. I have to say, like, I need to pick up that book. Several of the things that he talks about in the book are down my street. really okay yeah so like like it looks like he talked i don't know if he mentions in the book central square in cambridge but i Mm -hmm. see lots of photos from over there basically the harvard area um mayflower poultry live fresh killed chicken which is down the street from me so i'm just like wow (sighs) it's just yeah it's a stomaching a book that long the longest book i ever read was uh well i guess les Miz and war and peace but that was like that took a whole high school semester of English class. So it's been a
1: while. Holy cow. According to Molly from here, it's supposed to get, and I quote more metaphysical and freaky. Yeah. It, so far it's, it's been, it's been a, a very strange delight, which I never thought I'd say about anything I'd read, but um, Matt, what's, what's the longest thing you've read? Um, If, if you can recall.
0: Insert refrain from uh... Making a dirty joke here. <laughs> oh God! The longest, just the longest thing I've ever read. Yeah. Um, the AP Euro history textbook, because in uh, like for the first ha- no, the AP U.S. history textbook, not Euro, because in AP oh U.S. our uh, our AP U.S. teacher didn't finish teaching the material, and he kind of sucked at teaching the things that he did teach anyway. So I had to go and I had to teach myself. The entirety of that course all over again, plus reading the Barons book. Or no, it wasn't Barons that year. I used the uh, the Princeton Review book for the AP mm-hmm. test. I read through that twice. Yeah, the longest thing I've ever read is is that that textbook. I read it from beginning to end because otherwise I wouldn't have passed the goddamn test.
1: How many how many pages was it? Do you recall?
0: Ah. Uh... Probably like a thousand something pages, maybe 1500 to say, I want to say. Okay. Just to be safe. That's insane. I oh. wanted to get that five, okay? And I did.
2: <laughs> All right. Then was, it was worth it.
0: it. It was, it was painful, but it was worth
1: it. It's insane. I just had to check Reagan land because I was like, oh, is this longer? It's actually, I think it's technically shorter. Yeah, it's shorter. Yeah. I don't know. I guess including the endnotes, it would be the longest that I've read, Infinite Jest. because I was—I think I've only read maybe like 3,000 page books including this. Lonesome Dove being another one. I mean, I probably won't have much else to say when I finish it. Uh, I'll probably just say, hey, I finished it. But uh, <laughs> down the road, probably my plan now because right about now everything in, in my life is very up in the air, so I'm I'm hoping I can get through the rest of it by the first weekend of September. I have a couple other chunky reads to get through, but they're all like 400 or 600 pages. So, uh, and then finally I'll be done with new stuff to read for a while. But um, as I've been, as I've been hinting at so much tennis, there's so much tennis. I, I, this is the most I ever will plan to read about tennis the and and the family too is is a good laugh so uh i have enjoyed reading about the uh the incondenzas anyway jens yeah oh god well and that's what uh chris and molly have brought up is like fan casting and who would direct this i think they suggested uh what's his name he, he did uh french dispatch darjeeling darjeeling limited um wes anderson yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's kind
2: of fitting. I mean, not knowing the whole book, I mean, who else could tackle it? I mean, who, who's the other Anderson? I feel like the other Anderson can tackle it, too. Oh, Paul,
1: uh, isn't it Paul Thomas Anderson.
2: Yeah, no relation, right?
1: As far as I know, no relation. Yeah, which there's a character in this book named John Wayne and his middle initials are N.R., John, no relation, Wayne. God. Um, and there's also a character named Lateral Alice Moore. Who, what? as you can imagine, walks funny. Um, like like shifts from side to side when she walks. But uh, and, and maybe it's because of her. Uh, I'm thinking of the log lady from Twin Peaks. And so given the fact that uh, David Foster Wallace was a big David Lynch fan, there's a part of me that could see David Lynch making something out of this uh if he could i'd probably love it um but it's i'll put it this way you know what this could be an hbo max series but uh well let's not talk about hbo max because that could be a whole other discussion uh right matt uh hbo max (laughs) although i am watching um
0: the rehearsal now i i caught up on harley quinn i'm watching the rehearsal which is just so great! Like Nathan Fielder is a an understated comedic genius. I need to watch Last Night in Soho because I'm obsessed with Anya Taylor Joy. Um, oh yeah. And then they canceled, I think, pretty much all of the DC
1: slate so far, except for uh, Peacemaker. I mean, Joker two still happening. Ugh. And, uh, and I That's think one and, thing and, I and, and, don't need. And, and as far as I know, the Batman two will still happen, despite the fact that it still has yet to be greenlit. Because they're still so working on the there's script.
0: There's no way that it's not going to happen. Like, that movie made so much money.
1: You hear that, Pete? You hear that? Um, One other thing I'll mention uh, very quickly is that the years... Because Infinite Jest talks about, uh, you know, consumerism and, and how how such a huge part of our lives it's become. The years are now named after brand items. So this book takes place in the year of the depend or excuse me, the year of the adult depend undergarment. Ah. Oh. and you've also got like other years, like the year of the of the Purdue Wonder Chicken, uh, the year of the trial size dove bar. Um, there's a there's a really long one, too. That's like the you shit you 2007 something or another. Uh, the year of the. Yeah. Chip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, God. You've been listening to Mars on Life. Look up our show on Instagram and Twitter by searching at Mars on Life Show and give us a follow. Tune in to the latest episodes and bonus content from our show wherever podcasts are found, including Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Also, don't forget to head on over to the official Mars on Life YouTube channel to like and subscribe our work. This show's artwork, Happy Mars, is by Zachary Erberich, while our intro and outro is Space Explorers by Kevin McLeod. If you keep going, you'll make it to Mars.